You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Hey everybody, Dave here. Uh, Before we start today's show, I want to make an introduction to all of you. Elliot Peltzman joined our team earlier this year. He heads up our audio editing. And when we hired Elliot, uh, it was for two main things. First of all, to take some of the editing load off of me, but also to improve the audio quality of all of our shows, something that he has done uh, with great measure. Uh, Elliot, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Dave. It's good to be on this side of the microphone. (laughs) That's right. Now, some of you out there who are music lovers may recognize Elliot's name because he is a former member of the Stone Foxes, a well-known rock band. He is a composer, a keyboardist, a vocalist, uh, and had traveled the world with the Stone Foxes. So quite exciting uh, element of your career there, Elliot, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now just full-blown podcast nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Well, welcome to the club. Um, Now, one of the things that really excited us about having Elliot join our team is uh, the possibility of having new music composed for some of our shows. And I am excited to say that that is what we are premiering today. We have a new theme song for the CyberWire Daily Podcast. Now, Elliot, can you take us through what was your process for that, of, of creating something new uh, replacing something that a lot of people out there probably have a high level of comfort with. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I, I, I like it as well. You know, it's, it's, it's something that is very comforting, like you said, and is very recognizable. You know, we're going on, I think, almost four years of people listening to this theme. And uh, there's a lot that I like about it. So I really wanted to preserve those elements. Uh, I guess those would be kind of an, a feeling of uplifting. You know, it's the original is is a big rock band, you know, really rocking out and having a good time. And I didn't want to take that away from it. You know, I didn't want to jump into something, you know, spooky and, and minor or anything like that. Right, so right. I, I think, yeah, I think listeners will definitely still be able to enjoy that same feeling, being able to, you know, turn on the show that they have come to love and appreciate and still feel at home. Now, Elliot, as you and I well know, there is nothing in this world that people like more than change. And so (laughs) I think we're all bracing (laughs) ourselves to the reality that uh, I'm sure many people are going to be on board and and love the new theme music. There's no question that a handful of people out there are going to take issue with it. And I guess that's just uh, part of the gig, right? It is part of the gig, but I'm really happy with what we've got. You know, obviously the whole team has heard it. Um, my parents have heard it. They approve. This has gone past, you know, a lot of my colleagues and uh, it's, I don't know. I like it and I really hope everybody else does too. And uh, I, yeah, I would say just, just remember to keep a little bit of an open mind, but also that it was designed with the original show in mind. So it's not yeah. going to be 
you know, jump out of the gate with some heavy metal guitars or anything. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's right in our wheelhouse. Right, right. Well, let's get right into it. Without further delay, uh, thanks to our in-house composer extraordinaire, Elliot Peltzman, our new theme song. Here it is. North Korea harasses defectors. Researchers have been exploiting a bug in Emotet to inoculate systems against the malware for the past six months. CISA warns of Kony spearfishing. Red Curl APT conducts corporate espionage. The U.S. announces more restrictions on Huawei's access to U.S.-made chips. Chris Novak from Verizon on the evolving role of cyber insurance. Rick Howard on data loss prevention. And Australian schools are without email after an unpleasant experience with Reply All. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, August 17th, 2020. The Wall Street Journal reports that North Korea is engaging in a campaign of online harassment against former DPRK subjects who've defected to South Korea. The channels used to menace defectors include emails, texts, social media, and voice calls. One defector told the journal that he's been receiving spear phishing emails since May, and another continued to receive intimidating phone calls even after switching phone numbers. ZDNet reports that researchers at Binary Defense discovered a bug in Imotet back in February that enabled them to develop what they describe as a combination of a kill switch and a vaccine for the Trojan. The flaw was introduced by Imotet's developers on February 6th, and it involved the way the malware uses a Windows registry key for persistence, as well as for various code checks during its execution. This key was predictable, since it was based on each device's volume serial number. Binary defense researchers wrote a PowerShell script dubbed EmoCrash, that generated a malformed version of this registry key and triggered a buffer overflow vulnerability during Emotet's installation, which would crash the malware before it finished installing. The crash also generated two easily detectable event logs, enabling defenders to identify systems where Emotet was incapacitated. Binary Defense worked with security research nonprofit Team Cymru to distribute the tool to national computer emergency response teams around the world. Everyone with knowledge of EmoCrash kept its existence secret to prevent the Emotet crew from finding out about it. Emotet's developers patched the flaw on August 6th, which is why Binary Defense is revealing the operation now. It's not clear if the developers found the flaw or fixed it by accident, but they were most likely aware that there was a bug somewhere in the code. The researchers don't know how many organizations deployed their tool since they intentionally didn't collect telemetry, but they believe EmoCrash made a significant dent in Emotet's operations over the past six months. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency warns of widespread use of malicious Microsoft Word documents carrying the Kony Remote Access Trojan as a payload. The documents contain VBA macros that can change the font color from light gray to black in order to trick users into enabling content, while using the command line to download Connie in the background. 
Connie has all the expected functionalities of a capable rat. The malware has in the past been linked to North Korean cyber operators, although CISA doesn't attribute this campaign to any specific actor. Group IB describes a previously undisclosed Russophone APT dubbed Red Curl, which has been conducting corporate espionage since at least 2018. The security firm has observed 26 attacks against 14 victim organizations distributed across Russia, Ukraine, Canada, Germany, the United Kingdom, and Norway. The group sends well-crafted spear-phishing emails, often posing as real HR employees and targeting specific departments within the companies. The emails contain links to download the group's custom Trojan, which is hosted on legitimate cloud infrastructure. The malware also uses legitimate cloud services to convey communication to the attacker's command and control server. Group IB thinks Red Curl is a hired gun, possibly working to collect business intelligence on behalf of victims' competitors. The researchers say, quote, In all campaigns, Red Curl's main goal was to steal confidential corporate documents such as contracts, financial documents, employee personal records, and records of legal actions and facility construction. Threat Post warns that a proof-of-concept exploit for two known bugs in Apache Struts 2 was published to GitHub on Friday. One of the vulnerabilities can lead to remote code execution, and users of Struts 2 are urged to update to the latest version. A U.S. executive order issued Friday takes note of ByteDance's acquisition of Musical.ly and the integration of that acquisition into TikTok. The order served notice that ByteDance had 90 days to divest itself of TikTok and to delete any data it had collected from U.S.-based users of TikTok and Musical.ly. The U.S. Commerce Department this morning announced more restrictions on Huawei's access to U.S.-made semiconductors. A new amendment to the Foreign Produced Direct Product Rule applies the restrictions to any transactions, quote, where U.S. software or technology is the basis for a foreign-produced item that will be incorporated into or will be used in the production or development of any part, component, or equipment produced, purchased, or ordered by any Huawei entity on the entity list. Or, two, when any Huawei entity on the entity list is a party to such a transaction, such as purchaser, intermediate consignee, ultimate consignee, or end-user. Quote, the amendment also adds 38 additional Huawei affiliates from 21 countries to the entity list. The U.S. State Department said in a press release that the amendment will prevent Huawei from circumventing U.S. law through alternative chip production and provision of off-the-shelf chips produced with tools acquired from the United States. This measure follows the more limited expansion of the foreign direct product rule in May, which Huawei has continuously tried to evade. And finally, the Register reports that 94 public schools in Australia's Capital Territory will be operating without email for the rest of the week after some naughty students abused a global distribution list to send smut and other unwanted content to all of their peers. Many recipients of the emails used Reply All to complain about the issue, which further clogged up the system. The local education directorate has blocked access to Gmail, Google Drive, and Google Classroom while they clean up the mess. (music) 
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief analyst, also our chief security officer, and he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast. Rick, it's always great to have you back. Hey, Dave. So this week on CSO Perspectives, you are covering data loss protection. Uh, Let's dig in here. First of all, definitions. What what does that mean? Well, that's a good question, right? It it is not a universal answer. I don't think there's one clear answer of what everybody thinks, okay? Mm -hmm. And also, it's not clear what we should be doing, okay? I say that because uh, it always comes down to this idea of a risk equation. And what I mean by that is, we have tools and processes, you know, that can help us reduce the impact to our organization. If a hacker steals or corrupts our data somehow, you know, the, these things have been around forever, like creating backups in multiple locations, destroying unused data, labeling data that might be material, so at least we know what it is, and then mm-hmm. encrypting it at rest and in transit and wherever the backups reside, right? But we still have to be aware of the business requirements. You know, the risk of some of the data that flows through our networks getting out or getting destroyed has to be weighed against what the business leaders need to run the business. You know, they might even understand the risk, but decide anyway that the more important task is to keep the business running at high velocity without any friction that I might inject because I need my DLP program to function, you know. Hmm. So um, I was talking to uh, Tom Quinn about this yesterday. He is the CISO at T. Rowe Price. He's been there just over four years. 
And he's also one of our subject matter experts that comes to the hash table to discuss these kinds of issues. Uh, Here's what he said. You really need to understand what the business expects from its data, right? It may be more important to have the data be high velocity and um, moving where it needs to without a lot of restriction, even though it is sensitive. You know, data wants to be free. And the faster the velocity of data, um, the better, you know, often it's the the better outcome because you want to get the right data at the right time to the right people. Um, So velocity really does matter. But eventually, right, data needs to be opened, right? Data needs to be available um, to people to do the work that they can. Uh, Interesting stuff, Rick. What, What do you make of that? Well, I think the bottom line here is that first, not all data is important or at least as important as all the CISOs think it is, right? Hmm. Uh, And even protecting the data that is may not overrule the business requirements to deliver it at high velocity. You know, it makes me think back to, you know, to my days uh, in in creative fields where there'd be this chart that's very popular. People would say, you know, good, fast, cheap, pick any two. (laughs) It's exactly right. And I wonder, is there a version of that for for what we're talking about here? You know, could it be, uh, you know, safe, fast, cheap, (laughs) pick any two? I don't don't know if if that works or not, but it's something to think about maybe. It's going to be my new model going forward, right? I, I, I do think that, you know, as a CISO, I have to make the case to the business leader that this is something we need to do something about, this this particular situation. Uh, and either I make the case to the business leader and, and we all decide that something has to be done, or I don't. And that's okay, because mm-hmm. he's the one running the business and uh, he has to make that call. And, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, how, how much of... Uh... I don't know, you know, covering your tail happens with these sorts of things too, where if, as, as a, as, as the practical reality of the person who's the CISO being able to say, I told you guys, you didn't <laughs> listen, right? I, I told you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not going to admit here in public that I've used that in my own mind, right? But I told you about the risk, okay? You right. guys decided not to do it, all right? So. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, it's a CSO Perspectives. It's part of CyberWire Pro. Do check it out. Rick Howard. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Chris Novak. He is the director of the Verizon Threat Research Advisory Center, Chris, it's great to have you back. I wanted to touch today on cyber insurance and and particularly how people are coming to rely on it uh, in responding to data breaches and some of the things that you and your team are tracking when it comes to that area. Absolutely. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. Yeah, cyber insurance is kind of a kind of a funny topic that started to to really peak. In fact, we're seeing more and more organizations leaning heavily on their cyber insurance when they have an incident. And I, I think one of the key things that really stands out, in fact, we get this question a lot, is, well, do I need incident response if I have cyber insurance? And the way I really approach it is, in, in fact, a, a lot of times when I talk about cybersecurity, I draw analogies to healthcare. And I say, it's much like healthcare. You may have a medical insurance company, but you do not go to the insurance company to have a surgery done. They may tell you who's approved under that healthcare plan. They may tell you what your coverage limits are. And uh, you would then typically go to your doctor or your surgeon to actually have whatever the procedure is taken care of. And, you know, sometimes there's some 
confusion in the industry around that, that, well, I've got insurance. I don't need to plan or prepare or I don't need playbooks or policies. I'll just rely on my insurance to make everything right. And um, obviously that that can sometimes trip people up when they actually have an incident and find out, oh, my, my insurance company isn't actually the one doing the investigation or the incident response. I, I now need to, quote, find that doctor. Hmm. And how much back and forth is there between, say, the incident response team and the insurance company, you know, of, okay, here's what we think, here's what we think this is going to cost, you know, is that a, is that a collaborative process when these things kick into gear? Yeah, it typically is. In fact, uh, generally speaking, when an incident response would kick off, you know, it's not uncommon for our incident responders to actually outright ask the customer, hey, do you have cyber insurance? If you do, you should probably give them a call. Just make them aware of the fact that you have an issue that you might be making a claim on because Hmm. generally speaking, they want to be involved, just like your health insurance typically wants to understand what you're doing from a healthcare perspective so they can understand how to you know, handle the claims and all that kind of stuff. And typically, you know, most of the incident responders out there, you know, for example, we work with dozens of cyber insurance companies around the world. We're pre-vetted, so we know what the process typically looks like and help kind of guide our customers through it. But at the same time, their insurance company may have input that they want to impart as things go along in terms of understanding the size, the scope, and and ultimately, obviously, like anything, they'd like to understand, you know, the root cause as well to, to determine whether or not certain things may or may not be covered. You know, to that point, do you have any tips for folks who are out there shopping around for cyber insurance? Any any questions they should be sure to ask their their insurance agents to make sure that what they think they're getting is what they're actually getting. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And and one of the things that I always recommend organizations do is, you know, just like, you know, with healthcare insurance, you want to make sure that your healthcare insurance gives you the coverage that you want and feel that you need. So obviously you want to kick the tires on the coverage limits, understand any potential exclusions. And then also if you're an organization that may have a global footprint, you want to understand whether or not it's going to cover you in all the places that you may actually have, you know, people, data and facilities. And then also you want to make sure just like in healthcare, if you have a doctor or a facility that you want to be able to use, you want to make sure that they're, quote, in network, if you will. You want to make sure that you you don't run into a situation where you have a health scare or you have a cyber incident that pops up only to find out that the incident responder you were planning to use isn't one that's working with your your insurance company. So you always want to kind of bring those together. In fact, a lot of times what we'll even do is work collaboratively with a client and their insurance and say, hey, maybe we'll do a tabletop exercise or something like that together so that all the parties can kind of get a feel for what it looks like in the event of an actual live incident, how we would all actually work together and make that process as smooth as possible. Yeah, because the last thing anybody wants is uh, surprises when you're in the midst of an incident. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris Novak, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. 
You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. And check out the Recorded Future podcast, which I also host. The subject there is threat intelligence. Every week we talk to interesting people about timely cybersecurity topics. That's at recordedfuture.com slash podcast. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Harold Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.